Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel. This is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, we get to talk about everything in between. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, you know exactly what to do. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Five-star review on Spotify. Five-star review and leave some really nice words for me over on Apple, but more importantly... My incredible guest today, I have Michael Ehrlich. He's the CEO and founder of Playbook Marketing, writer for The Boardroom with previous stops at Fox Sports, ISE, The Lakers, and the head of public relations over at Adidas. Michael, how you doing today, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Happy Monday. I guess it's Monday evening for you, Monday afternoon out here in sunny LA. Mm, it's sunny out here. It's kind of hot. I'm I'm a big summer guy, but I, I've gotten, I'm almost to the point where I'm like totally excited for fall at this point because it's been too hot, but... We don't need to talk about the weather. There's way better things that we can talk about, like your career and everything that you've done and the excitement that I have to have you on this show. It's going to be a blast. But Michael, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Great question. I borrowed your structure and asked somebody earlier today for, for their answer just to start a conversation. No way. Yeah, it was not a podcast. That's so cool. Don't worry, but I just thought it was a good question no, because you know, we, we think about awesome this. Question. Yeah, I mean, we think about this all the time of why we do what we do. Um, and for me, I'm lucky enough to have been working in sports for, oh man, I don't want to age myself too much, but I guess 15 years maybe. Can't really do math. Um, but why sports? It's the ultimate connector. It connects people of all ages, races, uh, you know, ethnicities all over the world. It brings people, it brings community, it creates community, it creates, um, you know, your investment in something bigger than yourself. Uh, and it brings people together. And I've just been so blessed to have been able to carve out a career in this, you know, in this sport, in sports world. Um, you know, I guess you could call it a job, but it doesn't feel like a job. And that's, that's the point, right? You don't want to, you want to work, but you also want to have fun and being able to do it with really interesting, smart people and do cool stuff uh, for the last decade plus has been a, a blessing for sure. Do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life, right? That's always a nice little quote I like to think of. And I think it, right. Sports connects everyone everywhere, right? Like I, I can see, I use this example all the time on this show, but if I walk into a bar on anywhere on planet earth and someone's wearing a Mets hat, a Mets shirt, I'm going to go talk to that person. Now, maybe we don't speak the same language, but we can at least both point to our shirts. Yeah, yeah, you, me, yeah, yeah, let's go Mets. So, it's you know, it's always something that I think is pretty awesome when it comes to sports is uh, everything else gets turned off. We're all on the same team, right, when we're both Mets fans, and we're going to mother after the person wearing the Phillies jersey. Like, it's the easiest, it's the simplest split right down the middle. Now, I'm usually a nice person. I do hate Philadelphia and everything that comes with it. And I'm sure I'd be nice to that person if I saw him out in public. But it's that exact reason that there's that even that connection to baseball then, right? So there's always that overarching, well, at least we both watch baseball together. So what, what is it about, I guess, connection that resonates most with you? Is it something from your childhood? Was it something that, you know, you always just were, were, you know, that team mentality, I guess? Was it anything specific that you can think of? You know, it's funny. I Growing up, I played a ton of different sports, uh, knew I wasn't going to go pro, uh, although I was like the first, I don't know, I, I think my rabbi told me in seventh grade, I was like, oh, I'm the first bar mitzvah would ever have a mustache, speaking of mustaches, looking at you right hey. now. But like I was 6'2", six, 6'3", six, as a seventh grader, and I was like, oh man, I'm going to the NBA, I'm going to be you know 6'8", six, 6'10", six, whatever, and then I just literally stopped growing uh, at seventh grade. So uh, I knew that I was going to be working in sports um, in some capacity, but as an athlete, I was always the glue guy. I, I think 
in middle school and high school, I was more of the, the star player, um, just being the biggest guy and, and playing um, so many different positions. But I, I always figured if I can out hustle, out work and be the facilitator, make everybody else better, then that's going to be a long-term sort of role for me, both in and out of sports. And I think I, you know, borrow that mentality in the professional world as well. I, I never was one for promoting myself or my own, my own work or my own impact, but I always wanted to bring people up and make people feel like they were a part of the process and success. And I, I try and you know, internalize or, or I guess market myself to myself as the ultimate glue guy. Like I really love connecting people. I love working cross-functionally and um, in my sort of traditional corporate days, which I know we'll talk about, I just always love that proposition of, sure, I have my scope, but I love collaborating and I love bringing people into what I'm doing and get their perspective and vice versa. I love giving my opinion and, and perspective on what other people are working and the most successful professional relationships, projects, campaigns were those that sort of fostered that creative connectivity. Um, so yeah, I, I always considered myself the the ultimate glue guy and, and I try and bring people together. And I, I just had a call previously about just that of like, oh, who in my Rolodex can I set you up with? And you know, does that meeting lead into a potential job opportunity or at the very least another conversation? I just love that sort of minority report screen connectivity aspect of the sports industry because it is a, you know, to a young professional, it could be a daunting, huge business, but if you've, you're in it long enough, you know, people, a lot of different places and people travel to different roles and everyone knows everybody you're connected. And why not share that with that next generation? Cause I was lucky enough to have incredible mentors, incredible teachers, career counselors, et cetera, that, you know, helped me navigate these, these crazy waters. And I want to do that for, for that next professional as well. Yeah, I think I love connecting. I love being a connector and networking. It's just so much fun to me. I mean, I like talking, right? No one figured that point out. Uh, so I always love asking questions and just seeing kind of, you know, how can you help someone else? It's the easiest question in the world. Well, this is what you do. How can I help? How, how can I put a dollar in your pocket? Like, who can I connect you to? And that's always the easiest way to make a friend, right? Like, even if nothing comes from that connection, that person might know, know, some, know somebody. And that person's other person might know somebody, right? So it's always, it never hurts to make that connection. You have a conversation. If it works out, it's great. If it doesn't, on to the next one. Big deal. And I think that's something that I totally agree with you. Like, the longer I've been in this industry, the smaller it gets, right? Like, now everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows everybody. And you're, I'm like two or three degrees away from pretty much anyone I need to get in contact with at this point outside of, you know, star-level athletes and stuff. And the point you were making before, which I think is really interesting, right? Like, some of the most powerful people in sports are not the people that we see every day, right? They're the people from behind the scenes. They're the people that are making those connections. So you as the glue guy, you as the facilitator, some might say shadow commissioner, but we can get to that in a little bit. Uh, the opportunities are huge for someone like you as long as you can show your value to whomever, athletes, business owners, anybody. As long as you can show your value to them, you will then be extremely successful whether people know your name or not. Now, it doesn't seem like you're a big ego guy, so you don't need people to know your name. But you own your own business, so we've got to make sure that people know who you are, Michael. That's so that true. way you can make money. We'll get to that. We'll get to gotta, that a little bit. Always got to PR your own PR, right? Exactly. That's That was always something that made – it was very confusing to me. Do PR agencies PR their own PR? Because like, that's like the easiest the, way to say – The more traditional ones do, and it's funny. I mean, I mean, we'll get into this, but I had to teach my team – 
internally to do PR for your own PR because that's only going to get you a bigger seat at the table, more budget, more headcount, et cetera. But it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people, myself included, to promote yourself, promote your work internally and even harder externally. No, I believe that. Sports marketers marketing their sports marketing, right? It's always a, it's a little little bit of a catch-22 somewhere. Um, so it's always very interesting. So I do want to start out, as you said, you, you kind of you knew you weren't going to go to the NBA, unfortunately, but you got there in some capacity. You started working for the Lakers right out of school, it looks like, in the media realm. So I'm curious. Like, I always love learning how people get these first jobs, especially when it's a flashy name like the Lakers, right? You may look back or at the time been like, this is the worst job ever. I didn't have shit to do. But at the time, you had the flashy. I work for the Lakers. Anybody would talk to you at that point. So I'm curious, how do you even get a position like that so quickly out of school? Well, I'll, I'll actually go back a few years. So in high school and, and, you know, my summers, I would intern with the local news station, local newspaper, and the local, I, I grew up in Pebble Beach, Carmel area of Central Coast, uh, Carmel, or California, and the like lead sports anchor told me once during an internship, he's like, you can either be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. And if you're a small fish, you're going to be able to learn from all the other fish in that pond. So when you go to a smaller pond, you're going to, you know, you're going to know everything. So, um, not that that really helps for this conversation, but when I, no, 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 I, get it. I get it. when I was, um, visiting USC, I'm a diehard USC Trojan, um, prior to enrolling my freshman year, um, I stopped into the sports information office and didn't know what that was, but was, it was right in heritage hall. So I was enamored by all the Heismans and the trophies and everything. And I just sort of stumbled in there with my parents and met the assistant SID and, you know, we're shooting the shit a little bit. And he was like, Hey, if you want to intern your first semester, like come find me your first day. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like all oh, the tradition, the history. And I, you know, made a, a, a point to first day of school or first day I got there, I went back in and said, Hey, remember me, um, you know, hired me as an intern, um, on the spot. And it sort of took me on this incredible journey, tapping into the LA sports community. And obviously USC at the time, it was right when Pete Carroll got there. I think we went to four BCS championship or BCS bowl games in a row. We won two of them. Kind of, um, depending uh, on here. Get out of here. Uh, we didn't lose at home. We had three Heisman Trophy winners. Um, so it was a pretty incredible time to be involved with the USC Athletic Department. So working with the SID office, the sports marketing office, that led me to working with the NBA Summer League while I was still in school. Um, that led me to, to a couple of other interesting internships in the sports world. I actually interned with the Lakers my senior year. Um, and what was so unique about that experience was, and this is going to age me again, I was home for spring break. My parents were living in Santa Barbara and I was reading the local sports section. And there was this feature article about longtime Lakers scout, Bill Burka, who's in his nineties now and Santa Barbara resident went through his whole career. And my mom was like, why don't you like look him up in the phone book and reach out? He seems like, you know, What's a phone book? Exactly. He could be your neighbor. He could be, you know, just a good contact. I was like, cool, let's do that. So I looked him up in the phone book, literally called him on his landline. He picked up. We shot the shit for a while. um, And he was like, hey, fax me your resume and I'll... I'll hand it to the head of PR who handles the the interns for the next, for the summer. Um, So I was like, okay, cool. So faxed him the resume, never heard from him. And then I think at like 7am on like a Tuesday, I got a call on my cell phone. I was still sleeping 
And it was him. And he's like, Hey, Michael, it's Bill Barker from the Lakers. Just want to let you know, I handed your resume directly to the head of PR, um, for their summer internship program. You should be getting a call soon. Um, so I went through the whole interview process and I grew up hating the Lakers. Uh, I'm from New York. My parents were born in New York. I grew up there and then we moved to Northern California. So I was diehard Warriors fan when they weren't very good. Um, and, I just despise the Lakers, uh, being a Northern California kid. So moving to LA, I still didn't like them. I was a USC guy, but everybody at school told me if you're going to intern in sports in college, you got to do it in the LA Lakers PR department. It's the best internship in, in sports in LA. So I put my fandom aside and honestly, I don't know why, but it sort of came up in conversation during the first interview. And I said, I'm actually not a Lakers fan. I'm from Northern California. I'm not here to meet the players, the coaches, to go to the games. I'm here because I was told from my career counselor at USC, this is the internship in LA and awkward long pause. But then the, the hiring manager was like, no one's ever really communicated like that or communicated that before in an interview. Like when can you start? Um, unfortunately there was a, I think there was a lockout that year or or something happened where the summer internship was pushed into the next season, but first day was media day. And I think they remembered my interview because I, I think of it out of spite that they put me with Kobe on media day duties, um, because they knew I wasn't a fan. And obviously if you're not a Lakers fan, you're certainly not a Kobe or or a Shaq fan previously. So, um, but something flipped um, for me, the, the, the culture there, the talent, the feeling of inclusion, everybody felt like they were part of it. And as an intern, I felt like I was important and I was valued and I did real work. I worked every home game. Uh, I worked in the office. Uh, my claim to fame that season was um, Kobe's 81 point game. I was responsible for transporting the game ball from Staples to the office the next day. Uh, and this was a little bit pre iPhones, pre social media, but you can imagine if a college senior went back to his, you know, house with all of his buddies on a Thursday night with Kobe's 81 point game ball, like what the conversation could have been like. Um, but it was just an incredible experience and completely shifted my perspective of the organization, um, the players, the ownership, the fans. Uh, and it sort of set me on a, a course of, all right, I love working with athletes. I love working on sort of stories and brands. How can I continue this into the next phase of my career? I think it's it's important to understand like that all of this came from an accident almost, as you said, kind of stumbled into the uh sports information like area of usc right and isn't that crazy when you kind of lay it out like that you're like well what if we turn left that day instead of right like what if what if you know you were an 18 year old college student you're like actually i'm not gonna go meet this guy today he'll be there tomorrow i'm gonna go get drunk with all these people that i just met like that is a very probable thing right that's not even a possible that's a probable more likely than not and instead you're like no, no no i'll go there the guy remembered you on the spot. You got the internship, and again, that sent you on that direction. Where then you end up with a, a job with the Lakers because you went out of your way to fax. Again, for any of the kids out there, you're going to do a little Google search. Don't forget the phone book. Fax. Yes, <laughs> phone yes, book and apologies. <laughs> looked it up on the. In, he looked up a landline in the phone book to then fax a gentleman who eventually got your resume to the right place, and then you were able to do that. When you're, do you think it would have been different if it was? 
the Kansas City Royals. Do you think it would have been different if it was, um, I, I don't know, pick small market team here, right? Then instead of with the Lakers, instead of with Kobe, do you think you would have felt that same, as you put it before, um, connection? You, you, you bought in, right, because you felt like you were important. Do you think it would have been the same as one of these smaller market teams not dealing with one of the biggest basketball stars ever in the biggest media market in you know the flashiest area, do you think it would have been any different? That's a good question. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about this recently, like especially now, fifteen years into the career. But even then, I never got starstruck by the athletes. I got starstruck by the reporters. So the first time I saw Bill Plaschke, I was like, "Oh shit, that's Bill Plaschke! How do I get to meet him?" Or you know, Jay Donde was sitting in front of me. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever." Um, so I don't know if that how that happened maybe just being in LA I think you're just sort of used to seeing celebrities I think being at SC at that time obviously there were a lot of celebrity students the athletes were very you know celebrity focused but um you know to get to your question I I mean I think it had less to do with the size of the the team or the fans or the allure of Laker fandom. And I think it was more about the feeling of the organization um, and doing real work and not feeling like you're an intern, but feeling like you're a part of the team. Uh, And I imagine that smaller market teams probably have that ingrained in their um, just sort of work ethic and structure and less resources potentially. You know, we had, I think it were maybe four or five interns when I was there maybe the Royals would only have one or two interns. So you would probably be doing even more stuff. Um, I hear stories about some of my colleagues who worked for minor league teams and they were the head of PR. They were the mascot. They sold hot dogs and tickets and did all these things at once. Um, little old me, I was just a PR intern, but uh, I think, I think the feeling was more impactful to me than, you know, the, the, the sort of cameras and the lights and, and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think it's kind of an unfair question on my part because, like, who knows? Uh, we weren't there, so it's it's not it's not the most fair. But I am curious, like, from the culture perspective, right? The Royals are not going to have the same culture. I mean, actually, I hate the Royals, so I don't feel bad about it. The Royals are not going to have the same culture as the L.A. Lakers, right? Again, with the the tradition, the celebration of not only Shaq and Kobe, but right, you have Magic, you have like you, any you know, pick any Laker here, put them in, you know, like the the the, the tradition of the Lakers, I think gives more allure to the area that you were in, which I think is pretty cool. Cause you got to see it from both sides, right? You got to see, and I know USC had some stuff back in the day, but like, let's be honest, the heyday of USC was the early two thousands, which you got to see, but then you were there with the Lakers as well. So you got to see kind of the, not quite flash in the pan, but we'll see what happens versus this is tradition. This is what we do. This is kind of ingrained in the culture, right? It's the Yankees versus the Mets. I'm a big Mets fan, but let's be honest. Like the Yankees have all the tradition. The Mets have what, two years in their history where we get to celebrate. So uh, it's just, it's interesting to kind of look at it like that. So, how did this job set you up for success moving forward? Because, again, this was a big role. It was an important role. You were dealing with high-level people, as you said. You know, walking around with Kobe day one. Like, they're not messing around. Hey, hey, kid, here you go. Like, how did that, those, you know, however many months you were on the job, set you up for the understanding of what the sports industry was going to be for those next 15 years? I think it was the perfect first step because – you look at sports today and the fusion of traditional sport and entertainment are so ingrained in every sport athlete team company that I think being there for, it was 2005, 2006 season, seeing it in person every night, the, 
the the sort of fusion of of editor of entertainment and, and sport but i think for me the the biggest thing was to sort of leave your fandom at the door um, obviously I certainly did in my interview cause I told him I was not a fan, but there were moments throughout the season where I fell in love with the team and the people involved and the players and the moments. I mean, I would cheer at some points in the game and I would get scolded for that. Cause obviously you can't do that. No right? cheering in the press yeah, box. Come but on, like, Michael. you know, Kobe hit this game winner against, against Phoenix. I think it was in the playoffs. Um, and like, all the interns just like stood up and were just like, holy shit. And you can't do that. But it's an incredible learning experience that certainly shaped sort of how I think about sports and looking at it holistically. And I think to your earlier point about the history and the tradition and the lineage, like that's what sold me on USC. I was, you know, very close to playing D3 football and maybe basketball at some smaller colleges. And um, the moment I got onto USC's campus, I was like, I don't need to play sports. I, they, I've got everything I need here. It's a traditional um, college experience and, and sports program and, and so much history. And, you know, you feel that when you're walking around the Lakers facility and their offices and you see all those um, trophies lined up and all the retired jerseys. And I think being a sports fan, athlete, marketer first, um, I think that really set me up for wrapping my head around how to navigate this whole thing without being lost in, Oh, I get to go to the super bowl or, Oh my gosh, I'm in this meeting with this athlete trying to sign him or her to this contract. Um, and it really, it really helped. Um, and I try and, you know, impart that on that next generation sports professional, because if you're a fan, you really aren't going to succeed in this business because it's going to get in the way of your decision-making and, um, how you show up and, and how you, um, contribute on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that definitely can get in the way, but it sounds like you were able to take again all those lessons and understand how important most of that is and be able to then push that forward, which I think is cool. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the Lakers here, which I guess wasn't my total intent, but I think it's an awesome story. It's a very important piece to this whole thing because, as you said, this kind of was the you know jumping off point to where you've gotten, where you know you hung out in the agency world for a little bit. I mean, the one one of the biggest things I saw on your resume, right, was you were at Adidas, head of public relations. Now, I don't want to disparage or you know kind of push away those few years that you spent in the agency world because i'm sure you did learn a lot but head of public relations at adidas is a little bit flashier again going back to the lakers right hey dude you did some stuff so i know you were at adidas for a while what um i guess what led you there and what led you to the opportunity to kind of head up the entire public you know be the head of public relations at one of the biggest shoe companies on planet earth you know it was a continuous evolution over I don't know, the first five, six, seven years of my career, I was at a sports agency for a while. And after about a year, I knew I did not want to be a sports agent. And, and I think that's so important to have those experiences early in your career. It's, you know, I tell people all the time, it's probably more important to understand what you don't want versus what you do want. Um, and I knew I didn't want to be a sports agent, but I knew I loved the athlete storytelling mechanism. It was right at the start of social media. Athletes were trying to understand how to build their brands and narratives outside of their sport and, and social was such a, a organic and authentic way to do that. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a couple of roles in the agency world and I, I ended up at Adidas's PR agency here in, here in Los Angeles. Um, and that was my first like hardcore focused PR role, um, where I truly understand how to write 
like a PR person, how to pitch stories, how to get on the phone and, and talk to reporters or editors, how to sell at the end of the day. PR, I tell people all the time, it's, it's sales. You're selling an idea, you're selling a story, you're selling a, a product, whatever it may be, uh, both internally and externally. Uh, and I really, that's where I sort of learned the X's and O's of, of public relations and media relations. And I still work with a lot of reporters and editors that I started with back in the day. Cause as we mentioned earlier, like this industry is so connected, people move all over the place and somebody might be an editorial assistant now, but in five, six, seven years, they're going to be running the whole department or they're going to be running the whole magazine. And because you have that experience and those relationships from back in the day, you're able to pitch stories or, or, or contribute or collaborate on things in the future. Um, and I think, you know, I was at Adidas's PR agency for, I think three years. Um, and then the opportunity came about to move client side. Uh, my boss at the time moved up to Portland to take over the whole, um, group restructured, reorganized or organized. And I think it might've been maybe her exit interview with the PR agency where I mentioned to her again, you gotta be proactive. You gotta say, Hey, if there's ever an opportunity, I'd love to explore moving up to Portland. And she had no idea. We had never talked about this before. And from there, it was like a snowball of like, all right, I can get you in touch with this person and that person. Thankfully, I already knew a lot of the people up there since they were my client, but the basic interview process was staffing an event that I was already going to be doing or meeting with an executive who I was already going to be working with on an interview or a, a video shoot or something like that. So I think once I got in the door up in Portland at Adidas, um, just an incredible experience. You know, At the time in 2011, the brand was not certainly where it is now, um, globally, especially, but, but in particular for, for my role, the U S and to be able to be a part of that evolution, um, of really focusing on U S centric sports, football, basketball, baseball, uh, and really developing a way of communicating to our fans, to our loyal consumers that fused traditional editorial with social and marketing and digital and analytics was just such a fun ride. Um, and to be a part of so many unique projects working across the sports and the lifestyle landscape was just an incredible, incredible experience. Um, and yeah, I, I, growing up, I was a huge athlete and a sneaker fan. Uh, I always had the East Bay catalogs arrive every month. And of course I'd be the guy that would like star circle all the shoes that I wanted and liked and, you know, cross ones out. And of course I never got any of those shoes. Maybe every Hanukkah I would get a pair of shoes, but, uh, it was just the product, the athlete, and the sort of global sports brand combination was just perfect for me. And with that, like Adidas is such, as you said, just this gigantic brand. And, you know, thankfully you were able to work on their their account for many years. And then you had the opportunity to eventually go, as you said, client side, which I think is important. So thank you for clarifying that piece of the story. What is it like to go from the agency world where you're dealing with all these different brands, all these different athletes, all these different reporters, right? You're still dealing with the reporters, but then going in-house and saying, okay, now you have one brand, you have one essentially story to tell, and you're going to tell it through all these different outlets. Was that, hey, I don't, I, you know, I used to have, you know, 10 hours to myself, and now I have so many more? Or like, what is it like going from many to one, but super hyper-focused on one, and especially a brand like Adidas? Well, thankfully, when I was at Adidas's PR agency, 98% of my time was on that account. Okay. So That's easy. Uh, it was an easy transition in, in that realm. But I think, and I tell this to young PR professionals in particular all the time, like start on the agency side, learn the industry, build your Rolodex, um, 
go through the grind of writing releases, pitches, locking yourself in a, you know, phone bank or whatever they, they call those now, those closets where you literally just bang out calls one after another and go through your list of who you're going to pitch. Um, and, to, and then go client side, you know, once you have that Rolodex, once you have those reps, I mean, it's the same thing with, with sales. And that's why so many young sports professionals start out selling tickets because it's the reps of talking to people, of selling, of understanding the brand makeup of the company or the brand or the team that you're working with. And then you can do anything. Um, Cause I think a lot of industry leaders look for that sales mentality in a young professional that they want to hire versus, Oh, they're a huge fan of this team or they are a huge sneakerhead. Like I always look for people who could sell um, because as I mentioned earlier, like every function is, has some aspect of sales. Um, so I think for me, uh, the transition was seamless because it was most of my time um, from an agency standpoint, but you know, you mentioned Adidas saying it's one brand. It's, it's really not. There's so many categories and so many complexities within that global brand because they're not just a soccer cleat. They're not just a basketball sneaker. They have so many different elements. And I think that was the most exciting part for me was sure. Sure. Certainly I came in and I was focused on soccer, football, baseball, and training. But as I continued in my career there, I was able to expand that into all aspects. And I think that was the really exciting part was how to cross pollinate, collaborate of how do we get this football player involved in this originals campaign? Or how do we get this basketball player involved in this women's training campaign? And like just sort of cross pollinate because at the end of the day, it is one brand, um, but it is a pretty diverse brand. And there's so many opportunities to collaborate internally to make a bigger splash externally. Is that hard to do? Like I was in corporate America for a little while and the collaboration internally sometimes got very difficult. And that was actually the part that I disliked the most because there's too many people sometimes. Like how difficult was it for you to instill that type of culture? Was that already there where it was very easy or was that something that you were got like, hey guys, we should really do more of X, Y, and Z because it's only going to, you know, it's, it's exponential at that point. We already have the person. want to use, use them across the way. That way we can take advantage of it to the max. It took a long time to organically and authentically build that idea across, across any team, function, group, market, because as you know, from your experience, like it's, it's really, really hard in corporate America. It doesn't matter what industry you're in to, think differently and collaborate and, and connect the dots cross-functionally. And I think when I came in, PR did not have a loud or impactful voice at the table, um, the decision-making table. And I think over time, and it's a testament to everyone on the PR team, in, including the people, um, you know, who were leading it at the time and above me and who came before is like, it took a long time to get that seat at the table. But I think that went across the board of like, we just, had to come together and figure out different ways of doing things because as you know, like there are some pretty big hitters in the sports apparel and sneaker industry. And, um, some that were not too far away from Adidas us headquarters in Portland. And you really had to be efficient with your time and your budgets and, you know, really think differently and, and try and cross pollinate and collaborate and, be creative as much as possible because you know there's a there's a big elephant that you're 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 hunting a little bit yeah who's yeah right next door exactly uh, pretty, pretty pretty sure most people might know who that is i always think it's it's really interesting though and I, I appreciate the way that you're explaining it because uh yeah corporate america wasn't for me i love the people that i worked with enjoyed the company that i worked for it was just all the internal not even strife not even like 
discourse. It was just just the red tape and BS is what I pretty much say about it. And it just, you know, it wasn't for me. It is what it is. But I appreciate you kind of laying it out there in the understanding that, hey, it takes a while for something like this, right? You were at Adidas for, what, six years, over six years, if I'm not mistaken? Yep. So it took a while for all of these things to really, the machine to start working. And I'm sure once it is instilled and once that is, you know, again, going, it kind of maybe not runs on its own, but it's more of an expectation at that point. It's more of something that you guys can lean back on rather than have to create over and over again, which I think is really important. Um, you also brought up something a little bit earlier that I want to just make sure we touch upon as well. The You talked about being a glue guy earlier, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you talked about being a connector recently, which I think is uh, is very important. I can't remember the exact uh, example that you used just only a couple minutes ago. Uh, but I think it's really important. Again, a lot of those, I always love asking that question first because that answer always comes up again. Like every time it always comes up again where you're able to say like, hey, you're going to facilitate this. You're going to get these stories. You're going to get these people. You're going to get the internal people to work together. Hey, to get to that common goal, which I think is awesome. So kudos and congratulations to you for that one, Michael. I think that's great. Um, so you spent some time at Adidas over there. So, I mean, essentially you worked on Adidas for like 10 years at that point. Yeah, right? almost almost a decade, both agency and in-house. So I was definitely rocking the three stripes for, for quite some time. Although I was also you know, you're living in Portland. It's the sneaker capital of the country. Uh, I was slowly collecting some other brands shoes just in case that there would be a, a an evolution of my career. Think? So it's hard not to, but obviously now I can wear whatever I want, which is nice. Were you, I guess, I mean, I get you weren't allowed to wear it like to the office, but if you were caught like around town in the swoosh, oh, I'm, like, sure it would, I'm sure I'm sure. I'm sure you can't, you can't rock the other teams, the other team's gear. And I think for I me as, and I wouldn't call it a public facing cause I don't think I was public facing, but I was a media, I was media facing. So like, let's say someone from the Oregonian, you know, or the Portland Tribune saw me and photographed it. Like that's not, that's the, that's the worst look. Right. Um, but it's less about like a, random consumer nobody know nobody knew who yeah, i was yeah. but like you know you're connected to the local news reporter or the you know uh sports editor and you know the that's that would be a horrible look for sure and and the that would be i guess a pretty that i guess that's more yeah that's true you're just some random guy on the street nobody cares in the paper but the people at the paper are like well if you know you know so mm-hmm. that's the problem so i think that's a really good point you make with you brought up something actually that was kind of weird pr had a very uh, I don't want to. I don't want to mince your words, but you had you did not have a loud voice at the table, which when you said it, I immediately thought, well, isn't that ironic? Like the mouthpiece for the company essentially is public relations, and you guys didn't have as much like voice. Like, is that is that, was that a consistent across PR? Is that a consistent across sports? Is that a consistent in certain companies in certain areas of the world? Like, I'm just kind of curious because that just seems super backwards when you kind of say it out it loud. Really it really does. And I never really thought about that until now. I just assumed that we should have a voice because that was our team. But um, I have a feeling that that's pretty consistent across the corporate world because throughout my career, I've always experienced that like, oh, they'll just PR it or, oh, just press the PR button or, oh, we can get a story or coverage. It's like a lot of like executives don't understand the strategy or the process that goes into it. And um, looking back on that, you know, it, it, it's certainly a point into this conversation because it's like, you're absolutely right. If you're the, you're, if you're the voice of the brand, shouldn't you have a voice inside of the brand? Um, yeah. yeah, within the brand. And at the time, no. Um, but I have a feeling that that is pretty common 
across the board where people just say, oh, our PR team's on an island. We're going to tell them what the story is and they're going to push it out. Um, but the effective and creative brands are those that are all collaborative in that front. I mean, it got to a point where the PR team was involved in design meetings um, where we didn't necessarily say, hey, we should do this, but we were at least there to talk through this and to learn from the designers um, what the story could be with this product and does this story have any PR legs? And, you know, the opportunity to be like, I don't think it does, but how about if we put a spin on it? And, you know, I, I think in any company in any um, industry, the closer that your marketing, communication, social, digital teams can be to the insert product design, development, creation process, the more efficient your storytelling legs are going to be once you do drop this product. 100%. And storytelling, that's what it's all about now, right? Especially across social media is understanding which one to use where I think is always very important. You know, you see, and I'm very guilty of it. Like, I don't know what the difference between Reels and TikTok is. So I put the exact same thing up on both. I don't know, whatever. It works for me at this point. I'm a one-man band when it comes to this. But obviously, the company I work for, the previous companies that I have worked for, it's very, it's much more specific and it's much more understood on how to tell that story across all these different mediums. You have to get kind of the same points across just in a different way. And I think that part's really important. And yeah, I think PR, right, especially with the advent of social media and, and I guess the inclusion of it into all pieces of, of marketing and mouthpiece at this point, right? It only made it so much easier and harder, I'm sure, at the exact same time for you guys to get all those points across. I'm sure in the early days of just Facebook statuses, that was easy. Now, I'm sure it's a little bit more difficult, which I, you know, hey, a challenge, right? That's what we like to look at. It. For sure. And that's, challenge. I mean, I found success even before all that, of literally being attached to the hip with my social and marketing and digital counterparts and us working together to not only create the voice and the perspective, but to put our materials, our content through each other's lenses before it went out to the public. So I wouldn't put out a press release or an announcement without the social and digital and marketing teams, you know, eyeballs on it and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I think that collective sort of um, storytelling umbrella across the board really allowed our message to, to truly hit the consumer. Cause to your point, like you have so many different touch points from a brand and obviously now more than ever, you have so many more because of the so many, so many different platforms that if you're aligned connectively across the traditional PR communication, social digital marketing, like your message is going to hit a little bit stronger and a little bit harder externally once you're all aligned. I love it. I love it. Now let's PR you a little bit, Michael. You got this cool company that you're working with. You are, and, and again, there was another stop in there. You went to ISE for a little over a year and a half. Sounds like you did some really cool stuff. But most importantly, the whole reason you're pretty much here. We spent 40 minutes on Adidas and the Lakers, which, uh, hey, man, it's, they're pretty, pretty cool par, companies. Pretty I, the dog course, yeah. I was going to say. But now you're doing some really cool stuff. And I do want to talk about, again, CEO and founder of Playbook Marketing. Um, right from the horse's mouth, man. PR to me. What do you got? I, when I left Adidas, so many people in my world were like, go start your own company. Why are you going to go work for somebody else? Nice. You could do this yourself. And, uh, what, what year was that? 2017. I didn't think I was an entrepreneur. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm a glue guy. I like to be behind the, the camera. Um, I don't want to go out and say, oh, I'm the head of this company or I'm starting this company. It's scary. And, you know, we could talk about this stuff now because we're, we're all, all entrepreneurs in our own right. And, you know, it was scary at the time for me to be like, all right, I don't need a mentor or a boss or, or, or a collaborator or somebody under me. 
you know, I can do this myself. And I, I don't think I was ready. Um, but after Adidas and independent sports entertainment and then consulting for a while and then a little bit of Fox sports, it just sort of hit, hit me that you're never going to replicate the culture or the feeling or the camaraderie of your past experiences or your past teams. So why not do a lot of really cool things, work with a lot of really cool people and build out your own business and shape it in the direction that you want to explore and not be sort of tied down to the corporate boundaries of what you can and, and can't do. And I think for a while I was so hung up on how do I find the perfect job at the perfect company? And as we all know, and all of your listeners know, that doesn't exist. Um, so I think for me, it was really doing as much cool shit with as many cool people as possible and diversifying the experiences and the functions because I wanted, I still want to do a lot of different things. I don't want to be defined by that nine to five. Uh, and I think the experience at Adidas showed me that I finally was ready to step outside of that traditional role because as head of PR for Adidas, that's sort of what my external brand was. I mean, I even had a Twitter handle that was Adidas USPR guy. It was like the verified voice of the person behind the PR team who could put a face and a name and a sort of response to the corporate social channels. So for a while, that's what my brand was externally. And I wasn't ready to create a brand for myself outside of my job and ultimately founding Playbook finally uh, was the right thing to do. And now it's, it's exciting to be able to work with so many different brands and companies and um, also write as well for boardroom and, and again, connect the dots and connect people to different companies and different brands for my own business sake, for other people's business sake. And we talked about this earlier, but this industry is so small. I'm able to work with so many people that I've known for a decade and people that uh, I worked with in so many different roles that I've had, so many different roles that they've had, and we're able to just do cool shit together. And I'm sure everybody that you finally reached out to was like, hey, I started my own thing. Everyone probably, know, congratulations. It was only a matter of time, right? I'm sure you got a lot of those. Nice yeah, or like, wait, pretty cool. you didn't have your own thing? <laughs> you know, it's I thought like, you were doing that for a yeah, while. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so interesting because a lot of people who I worked with on the corporate side they've all done this and we're all collaborating and we're putting each other in touch with different opportunities and we're alley-ooping things each other's way. And, and, uh, I think that's really cool to see as you probably can see in your own network as well. Like so many more people now are taking that leap outside of the corporate world and, and working for startups or having multiple jobs working on their, on their own brand. And it's, it's pretty exciting to be part of that because we all want the same thing. We all want to collaborate. We all want to do cool things. We want to connect each other and um, to be able to do it with people who you've known and worked with and trusted for so long is a, is a pretty fun feeling. Especially in this industry that we all love, right? It's Absolutely. makes me stay up late. It makes me get up early. I love every second of it. I wouldn't change it for the world. What was it like? You kind of, you know, spoke about it for a second, but what was it like to kind of, you know, I'll say it, break out of your shell a little bit and create that brand for yourself not outside of Adidas, outside of, you know, all these places, not quite a facade, but having that, let's Protection, call it a shield yeah, almost yeah. in front of you. Yeah. What was it like to finally say like, well, yeah, I got to get business. People have to know who I am outside of, you know, your network's great. Still got to get that message out there. What was that like? And how, were, how did those first few steps or stumbling blocks, if I may, um, occur? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, so many of my friends kind of make fun of me because I'm always interviewing. I'm always looking for collaboration opportunities. Like even when I was, I guess, 
fun employed for a little while and consulting, like I was interviewing so much. And I think that's just a testament to my own network and, and Rolodex and just people finding my experience interesting and just the, being the ultimate connector. And one of my close colleagues who I used to work with at Adidas is trying to start interviewing again and he's having some challenges and it's, it's really a, it's not about applying for jobs because we all apply for jobs online and get the perfunctory rejection or get, you know, an email back. But like, it's really about connecting with people and, and talking, you know, off the record or talking informationally speaking and not really hitting people up for jobs, but really understanding what they do, why they do it. Um, I love your, you know, how you open up your, your podcast episode. It's like, we got to find out the why and why we're all in this industry because it's probably not for the money unless you're an athlete or a coach. Um, so what, what, what is your why? Um, and I think just getting outside of, I need to look for a job and focusing more on, I want to learn about what you do, how you do it, why you do it. And if there are potential collaboration opportunities, I think once that mentality flipped for me, it was like a, a, a snowball. Like it just kept rolling. I was just like, all right, I can do this project with this team. I could pop this thing. I could write this, I could do this. And it just sort of snowballed from there, which was pretty cool. And, um, you just got to get out there and let people know that you're open for business and that you can do certain things. This is your, you know, experience level. This is your, um, repertoire and just sort of take it from there. I mean, I think also being a, communications PR executive for so long, it was easy to translate the same skills that you use to promote a product to promote your business as well. You just have to be open to harnessing that superpower that you may have from your, from your past life and getting over that hump certainly hard. It took me years. Um, but I think doing it the right way and focusing on, you know, not just sticking your chest out, but really showing value, um, and just building that sort of continued narrative and evolution of your own personal brand and your own personal business, I think is the the key um, initial steps to, to getting out there a little bit more. It's definitely difficult. Uh, but once you start doing it, it gets a lot easier as I'm sure you, you quickly found out. Um, so you kind of told us that you work with brands, you work with athletes, you work in PR, I guess, like what's your, what's your 32nd elevator pitch? Yeah. yeah so tell me, for, tell me on what you're doing. I mean, I'm a seasoned, brand builder, storyteller with a heavy focus on the athlete side of the business. So working across global sports brands and the media side and um, the athlete representation side at the core of everything that I do is athlete education and empowerment about how they can build their own brands, narratives, business portfolios to set themselves and their families up for long-term success after they hang up their sneakers or, or cleats. Um, and what's really getting me excited is everything NIL these days. And I was on the grassroots circuit long before NIL was even a possibility and being able to interface with middle school, high school athletes, college athletes about the opportunity that they have while they're wearing that Jersey, that helmet to build out their own personal brands, to set them up for business success, not athletic success, because as we all know, one tweak of a knee or an ankle and, and they could be done. And I told this story to hundreds of kids, if not thousands throughout my career of like at Adidas, we would hire former athletes all the time, not because they would set us up with the next star quarterback or a point guard, but because they knew product, they knew the culture, they knew the lifestyle, they knew sport. Um, and they brought with them a community, a following of passionate fans who 
the company could potentially tap into. And I think kids today, especially athletes, young athletes today are, are so much more brand conscious and brand aware, especially on social media, because they're all building their brands. A lot of these kids have more followers than the schools that they play with or they play for. Um, so I think the opportunity to tap into that is more important now than, than ever before. And you can start obviously younger now and, and certainly build that business portfolio at a younger age. And uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. And I think the education aspect of it is really what I'm super passionate about. Yeah, NIL is extremely important. Uh, I'm very grateful for the athletes. Uh, the The argument I always had was how can you tell someone they can't use their own name? That was like just the most mind-blowing thing to me. Now, it's starting to get, and I'm not going to say ridiculous, um, but it's starting to get a little ridiculous, I think, with some of these deals. like I think it was just a reported, I didn't believe it, and I don't know how true it was, but there was a report that some quarterback was offered like $14 million to go to, I don't know, insert school from Texas here. Uh, which is just, that's just astronomical. Now, hey, I'm not going to take my, dude, if you can get $14 million at 18, like who the hell am I? Like you're set up for many, many years, whether you get hurt or not. But it's just, uh, I don't know. It's starting to get a little a little wacky, but I am 100% in favor of paying the players, especially if it's just using their own name. Uh, I think that's awesome. And I think, again, the education piece of it, I actually just had a gentleman, Mark Kester of yep. the, um, the players NIL. He was just on the pod. I, I listened to that this released. morning, actually. Yeah, I was going to say that one got released Monday as we're recording this one only a couple hours ago. Super cool guy. He had some incredible experiences. So go check that one out after you're finished, of course, with this one. But I think it is it's extremely important for athletes to understand. And how how are you, I guess, in, in your yourself, your brand, your business? What are you doing to set yourself apart, right? Because now we have places like the Players NIL. I, I just interviewed Jason Bergman of Market Price, where they're more of a marketplace for athletes, and they're really focusing on college athletes to help them with the education, with the community, with understanding how they can take advantage. So a lot of these brands are starting to do sim- something, at least to help out in some capacity. What are you doing that is differentiated from everybody else in now this you know slowly becoming crowded NIL space? Yeah, I mean, I think what's unique about my position is that I'm not directly associated with a school, a brand, an agency, uh, a marketplace, a collective, or anything like that. It's funny, like this whole, the last year between NIL, Web3, collective, NFT, crypto, like there's so many new buzzwords that uh, you go back in a time machine, you're just like, what, what are you guys talking about? Um but I think that's what's so unique is like I'm on my own island, so I can play in so many different roles. And again, the ultimate glue guy, like that's how I position it in conversations for potential clients as well. It's like if you need PR support, I can do that. If you need marketing, brand planning, brand mapping, positioning, can do that. Um, if you need editorial support, I can handle that as well. If you need talent partnerships, like I know you're supposed to specialize. Um, but for me, I, I, that was what got me here is I didn't want to specialize. Sure. I had the hat of head of PR, but thankfully, and this is a testament to the company and their sort of openness and creativity. I was doing so many other things as well. And my team was doing so many other things at the same time. So, um, I think from experience perspective, we were more diverse and uh, well-rounded than a head of PR at another company potentially. Um, so I think that's sort of what, what my unique positioning is, is I can be so many different things for so, to so many different people, depending on what your needs are. Um, but all of those sort of buckets, whether it's a collective, uh, an agency, a marketplace, uh, I think 
I can also work with them on certain aspects as well. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And, and that's, what's so exciting about the current landscape and why I enjoy connecting people and why I have so many just open-ended networking calls that don't lead to anything is because there are so many people out there trying to do so many different things. And, um, if you can set them up for success with somebody else, it's going to come back to you as well. And, um, I think there's just so much opportunity and cool, work and collaborations to do and not enough time. So, uh, sort of why waste it just focusing on what will benefit you and why not sort of collaborate and, and bring your Rolodex together with somebody else's and, and hopefully make some magic happen. And that only makes that Rolodex even bigger, right? Also Rolodex kids, you'll need to look up. Yeah. Uh, what a Rolodex I keep is. saying That's that. That's always I've, a fun one too. Yeah. Uh, What's another word like your? I think that word contact. is still used. I don't think the actual yeah Rolodex is still used, but like the word Rolodex is still meant yeah as like yeah. a contact. I've never had an actual like Rolodex, really but I did have like a shoebox, mm-hmm. you know, when I was at Audi of just business cards of people that you know. Yeah, that's another buzzword that kids won't understand what that is. Shoebox? No, I'm kidding. Business card. Um, so I think... <laughs> Which I don't have. Someone asked me for my card the other day at, a, at an I event. I don't either. And I was like, uh, no, I don't have one of those. <laughs> just, connect with me on LinkedIn. Exactly. Or just here's my Twitter. That's what I tell people. Yeah, just just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where you'll find everything you need to know about me pretty much at this point. I think, like, how much... So you started your own thing. Obviously, that's very difficult. You're doing a lot, it sounds like, right? Now, maybe you don't think it's a lot. Maybe you think it's not enough, right? Because you're on your own. You need to make enough money to pay your mortgage and you know do everything that you want to do on the weekends and yada, yada, yada. So like how, when you kind of just listed off all these things and all these areas that you work in, does it get overwhelming when you're doing that on your own or the team that you have around you that you've put around you, George, the, you know, the mental capacity that you've been able to accrue with all these other, like, is it really not hard? Like, are you ever scared? Like, oh, I don't have business today. Like, this is a little worrisome. Like, how do you kind of deal with the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, especially as you said, like doing so much of these different things at once? It's definitely hard. Uh, I am an ultimate multitasker, so I like to do a lot of different things at once. But even this morning, you know, I always start my Monday and I'm just like, all right, I have my T-chart list of everything I need to do from business perspective, anything I need to do for a personal perspective. But Um, I'm also a visual and a tactile person and learner. So I'm in the market for some sort of white dry eraser board or some sort of thing above my desk so I can actually look at everything that I need to do or from an organization standpoint, but it's scary all the time. Um, especially in this world we live in now, this landscape financially, professionally, like, you know, you could start a month feeling great about three to five clients and then halfway through the month, they start to dwindle or they're cutting back. I mean, you see it in, in your own world, like budgets are being slashed. People are losing their jobs. Um, people are, you know, planning for a big campaign and that gets shelved. Um, that happens all the time. It happens basically with everybody who I've worked with since I've been going on my own. So I think you just have to go into these partnerships, relationships, contracts, knowing that things are going to change and knowing that your scope is going to have to change um, and you're going to have to be flexible and malleable to uh, what their business needs are, but also what the landscape is sort of driving. So I think as long as you go into going out on your own or consulting or picking up retainers or contracts or whatever it is with the mindset of this is probably going to change, um, I think you're going to be better off. Um, But it's absolutely scary. It's absolutely hard. 
Uh, I try and stay as organized um, from a to-do list perspective as possible. I also like to break things out by client in terms of what my tasks are and what my deliverables are. But no, there's not a day that it's not hard or scary, but I think that's the fun of it and the thrill of it. And, you know, this is what I asked for. So I got to sort of deal with it. You're not going to be comfortable, but you definitely have a better chance of uh, doing whatever you want and having the opportunity to become, as I like to say, filthy rich, hopefully. Uh, that's, that's, you know, it, 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 at Adidas, I'm sure you could have made a lot of money, but what you're doing now, I'm sure you can make 10x what you were making over there, which I think is the important part. And maybe you're not right now, but the opportunity is there, and that's, as you said, that's the fun part. The opportunity to know that there's something so, 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 so much bigger, so much brighter for yourself, I think is very important. And I guess, like, y- you kind of alluded to it a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit more about it. And we're kind of coming up on an hour, so we're probably going to cut this uh, in a little bit because you got stuff to do, and people's attention spans just aren't what they used to be. I'm not Joe Rogan yet, so they're not going to listen to a three-hour-long podcast. I'd love to, Michael. I'm having a blast. But what um what's it like business developing from both sides, right? Like you need – you have a lot of reporters, but you're always going to need more people to write stories. You have a lot of brands, but you're going to need more brands to find. You, you have a lot of athletes, but you're always going to need more athletes. Like your business developing from all these different sides. How do you kind of keep all of that straight? And then finally, as you said, you're great at it, but – how do you, there's a lot of dots to connect, man, a lot. And I know you're really good at it, but that has to get kind of convoluted and difficult sometimes, right? Like you have to block off hours. Like this hour, I'm only reaching out to people. This hour, I'm starting to connect dots. Like, how are you able to keep all of this, as you said, potentially on just one single whiteboard? It's a constant challenge. And, you know, starting the week, it's, we're recording this on a Monday. Like I definitely felt some anxiety this morning of like, wow, there's a lot out there right now. How do I do that? How do I connect those dots? You know, from an editorial writing standpoint, I have like five to seven stories that I would love to write for Boardroom right now, but I know that I'm not going to have the time to do that and also contribute on this um, consulting contract as well. So I think it's really, prioritization is obviously key, um, but I think being able to, flex and adjust in and out of, of certain projects in real time is, is super important and doing multiple projects at once is also tricky. But, um, I think just prioritization is key. And if it's like, all right, I have five to seven stories. What are the most interesting stories that I really want to focus on and, and explore? And how do I put these other three or four on the back burner and look at it next week? Um, and same thing with new business. It's like I have opportunities to have some general networking calls um, this week or go have a coffee with somebody who I just reunited with at this panel the other day in terms of networking. And it's like, all right, I have to sort of weigh the ROI on each of these opportunities because time is money, right? And especially if you're billing hours for this client or you have a weekly uh, retainer for this client or a monthly, like you really have to put it all down on paper and truly prioritize and figure out what's the best for my business. What's the best for my personal development, my business development and, and try and go from there because you can't do it all. Uh, there are only a certain amount of hours in the day. And, and also you want to show up in the best way for what's most important as well. Yes. ROI on your time. Uh, that's extremely important. Yeah. As you said, is it worth it to go do you have to drive the 30 minutes to get the coffee or can you just kind of do a zoom call? Right. Like that's exactly. Yeah. And I think now more yeah. than ever, it's like you can hop on the phone, the zoom, the Microsoft teams, whatever it's called. There's so many ways to connect with people that it's not as impersonal as it may have been a couple of years ago. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And I'm curious, like with all of this going on, 
you still have to right you you're talking about how you have to make money because i think that's important but you also still have to have a vision for what your company is going to look like right like you can't if you say static you're going to die we all kind of know that so how do you see what you're doing either evolving or growing in the i don't know near short long-term future with the understanding of what you're doing is what you will be doing just you can't do it all by yourself right or maybe you can i don't know you tell me definitely can't do it all by myself um I think, again, like going into the process, whether it's starting your own company, knowing that it's going to change. You're not going to, your, your company, what you do, your scope, your skill set is never going to stay the same. Otherwise, you're going to become extinct. Um, and I think the same mentality is you going into a contract or a project or a retainer, whatever it is, knowing that this is probably going to change. Um, so I think for, for me, you know, my vision is to try and stick with the pillars of sort of brand building and storytelling and connectivity. And that is so broad that it can really mean anything. Um, there's so much that goes into those pillars. Um, and some brand marketing people might say, Oh, it's too broad. It's not specific enough to, to your skill set." But I think for me, like this industry is changing every single day. You mentioned, you know, TikTok reels, these things are, are changing the way we disseminate information and content and talent and everything in between. And I think the, the more flexible and malleable you can be, but that your company can be as well to evolve with these diverse times and these changing landscape, the long, the longer you're going to be in business and the more attractive you could be to, to new business. If you say and promote that you do one thing, it's going to limit your ability to potentially pivot and do other things. And for me, the diversity aspect of what kind of work I can do is truly what drove me to actually do this and to, to, to step outside the traditional corporate world. So uh, as long as you go into an experience or a new business opportunity with that mindset that it's probably going to change, I think you'll, you'll be able to be a little bit more flexible than you might have been previously. Yeah, and uh, if you aren't flexible, I'm sure the world will make you flexible if if necessary, right? 100%. Again, if you don't change, you're going to ext- become extinct. So uh, you kind of either adapt or die, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, from 100%. the office. So I think that's pretty important. Um, but, Michael, this has been absolutely fantastic. Sincerely appreciate the conversation, how you broke into the industry, what you've done to stay there, how you were able to take it to new heights with Adidas, and now obviously doing some stuff on your own. Again, CEO, founder of Playbook Marketing, Michael Ehrlich. I uh, really appreciate the time today, man. Yeah. Time's the only thing we don't get more of. Exactly. So I appreciate you giving me some of yours. Everybody listening, appreciate everybody there, man. Couldn't right. uh, Let me just say hour. thank you one last time. Appreciate it. Hey, it was a quick hour too, right? Felt Always. pretty quick. It was yeah, nice. Yeah, very quick. Always. Always appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye.